Welcome to the Product Quest Podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Scott Burleson, and joining me as always, my co-host Jan Vermouth and Jonathan Edwards. Today, we welcome Dr. Sergey Ikovenko. Sergey is one of the world's leading authorities in the theory of inventive problem solving, commonly known as TRIZ or TREES. He has conducted over 1,500 workshops, 1,500 workshops on trees at a long list of companies, including P&G, GE, Hyundai, and many others, including the Chinese Patent Office, very interesting, and the Swiss, Swiss Patent Office. Oh, uh, nice. Very interesting. Jonathan and Jan are in Switzerland, by the way. Oh, all right. Great. He's lectured all over the world at Harvard, MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Stanford. He has doctorates in mechanical engineering and, and environmental engineering. And just to keep it interesting, a master's degree in patent law. He's written over 100 publications and books. He's been a TEDx speaker and keynote at events such as the MIT Sloan Management Forum. Sergey, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited, Sergey. I've been looking forward to this for, for so long. For our, for, our, our, um, for our listeners, some will have heard of trees, some have not. So here's what I was thinking. Maybe let's begin with just a brief, like that elevator speech, two minutes on what trees is. Not a lot of detail. We'll get into depth later. So if somebody's listening, at least they'll, when we speak of trees, they'll have some context as to what we're talking about. What, what's your a sort of two-minute overview of what trees is? Trees is. Right. Well, um, first of all, there is no enigma. Trees is just Russian acronym for theory for inventive problem solving. That's it. Um, but uh, uh, this type of theory is uh, captivating itself. So the idea was uh, that um, uh, uh, everyone can really create uh, engineering solutions at the level of invention. You know, it challenges challenges uh, general paradise that paradigm that uh, uh, you need to be born an inventor. You know, you can do it uh, just because you were born smart. All other unwashed public, you know, cannot do that. And uh, the development of that methodology uh, that was started back in the Soviet Union um, uh, was about the fact that uh, what about if we analyze the world patent collection, extract some smart moves that those uh, inventors for many years had used consciously or un unconsciously, and basically create a database of models of inventive solutions. And to match that, there were several ideas how to model engineering problems. So the general idea behind trees was the following. I have an engineering problem to solve. I model it in some specific ways and then match it with the database of models of inventive solutions. And I get a typical model of the inventive solutions on my hands that I actually develop into a real engineering solution. So basically, uh, that would uh, make uh, everyone an inventor. So it is something that anyone can learn. Of course, when we convert model of engineering solution into real solution, it really depends on your imagination. Different people have different abilities to do that. That also can be uh, really developed. But um, the idea itself was really fascinating. Um, because unfortunately, I will not talk much about it. You know, uh, the way uh, in engineers are taught in universities, you know, when they are learning engineering is really bad. 
because what professors give us, it is how to solve standard situations with standard methods. I want to, I need to increase the strength of engineering system as a mechanical engineer. There are several ways, make the, it's thicker, use stronger material, pre-stress, change the shape. So number of standard ways and that engineers, what engineers study. And when they graduate and start working, you know, sometimes it works, but sometimes, you know, they use these methods, but they do not work. You know, you make it thicker, the system becomes heavier. You make it curved, there's not enough space to put in that beam. You use a stronger material, it's very expensive, you're out of your budget. What to do? And then the engineers are on their own. Invent something smart, you're an engineer. Some people can do it, some people cannot. So TRIS basically is an extension of any area of engineering. So when engineers try to use standard methods in their field and they do not work, so basically, you know, they model this problem. One of these models uh, is uh, different types of so-called contradictions, when improvement of one parameter leads to deterioration of another. Right, and then a usual engineering approach, it's optimization, Six Sigma. Let us find that goal between. And in the long run, we have a, a product that is neither satisfying one requirement nor the other requirement. So a very mediocre product. Of course, optimization is useful. It is needed once the concept is developed, but to compromise at the conceptual stage of design just leads us to very mediocre products. And that's why engineering does not or not that great in many cases and companies struggle and bring to the market products that are mediocre. They don't have that much of competitive advantage. It gives us a lot to follow up on. I want to back up a little bit though. The, one of the most interesting, well, it's also interesting, but you know how it came to uh, Mr. Altschuler and uh, sort of the way he came to be. And you, and, um, you have the, the honor of you actually learned under Altschuler himself. I wonder if you could share with us a little bit of kind of who he was, you know, sort of his background and how he came to uh, create this process. I don't know if creates the word, but at least um, develop this process. Uh huh. Well, that's that's uh, you know a five-hour question <laughs> to answer <laughs> because he was uh, he has uh, had a really fascinating uh, life, a uh, difficult life, but. Uh, well, um, he um, basically, you know, he was, um, uh, he studied engineer as a uh, Navy officer. He graduated from military college because that was the time of World War II. Um, but, um, you know, he was very kind of uh, uh, gravitating, you know, always gravitating towards inventing. And when he uh, graduated from that military college, he got an appointment to the Russian Navy um, as a patent engineer. So he is responsible responsibilities were to basically help uh, his colleagues to identify an engineering solution that could be patented and actually help them to, you know, uh, uh, file a disclosure, you know, and with all these process. Um, so because of his job, he, uh, you know, uh, came across of many inventive solutions and it was his job to help engineers to be more productive generating inventions. And that's so he had that uh, blasphemous idea that it is possible probably to learn how to invent. 
And uh, for that, uh, you know, with this uh, idea in mind, he started this long, just lifetime project, you know, first collecting those smart moves, he called them inventive principles, and then kind of uh, attaching them to types of uh, problems that these inventive moves uh, resolved, that is the contradictions when improvement of one parameter leads to deterioration of another. And uh, that was the very first tool that he developed. Uh, and uh, that's uh, how it really started. Right now, there are many more tools and they are much more powerful really than inventive principles. But to tell the truth, uh, if you ever heard about this uh, contradiction matrix, so basically you put in a parameter you want to improve, a parameter that deteriorates when you make that improvement. And um, it's, a, it's a matrix and the crossing of the line and the column, these two parameters give you recommended smart moves that had been statistically statistically very successful, you know, in other patterns that had exactly the same contradictory couple of parameters like yours. That is why you get like a skeleton, like a model of an inventive problem um, around which you brainstorm. So um, uh, though it is not the most powerful tree tool right now, but to tell the truth, that's the best trees tool for promoting trees because uh, very <laughs> often when kind of uh, uh, I present trees people say give me something something take away you know so that not just uh, general phrases and that is a great takeaway because you really do not need to spend that much time learning how to use this contradiction matrix parameter you want to improve you know you know when you apply known methods you know what parameters deteriorate you're going to stick your contradiction into the matrix and you get inventive principles that are very general for example segment something into parts you know uh, segment something into parts so where parts can move relative to each other turn it upside down do the opposite instead of heating cool or something like that so these are like brainstorming pointers that are understandable for anyone and that is why a running brainstorming session about this inventive principles people can start using it maybe not the most effective way but still without any uh, lengthy studies and preparation and that is a great attraction of the contradiction matrix before we leave mr altschuler um tell me about how his his um his uh success as a science fiction writer how that played oh. into his <laughs> his development right uh, because uh, tris did not uh, did not yield any money you know you could not really live on tris in the former soviet union so altschuler was a science fiction writer by the way pretty pretty famous one. Uh, I love science fiction. And uh, well, naturally, I lived in the Soviet Union at that time, right? Uh, so, um, and uh, uh, when I bumped, uh, you know, against Tris uh, and, uh, you know, attended Al Schuller seminars, you know, um, yeah, Al Schuller, you know, development, uh, developer of Tris. But one of my uh, favorite science fiction writer was someone called Henry Altov. And I was really shocked to find out that is a, it is a pen name of Al Schuller. Wow. <laughs> and there's a total coincidence. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Wow. Right. Yeah. You were you were destined to be a student of Mr. Altschuler, which I believe means teacher. If I'm, is that right? 
Right, yeah, but yeah. Schumer was, I mean, Al Henry Alto, he was very famous, uh, especially among those who love science fiction. And maybe they never suspected about his trick activities. They did not know him uh, as Al Schuller, right? With me, it was the opposite. You know, oh, first, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I came across him as uh, Tris' father, you know, that, and that was also interesting because. You know, in the Soviet Union, well, it probably here also possible, uh, just different track. You know, um, uh, if you wanted to get another degree, you know, you can do it and the company pays for that. And because I was very interested in inventing, I had patents. And uh, so the head of the IP department for, of the company where I work offered me, you know, to get a master degree in patent law. And uh, they pay, they give extra day off every week. I thought, well, that's not too shabby, you know, <laughs> and actually learning something that you want. And we had a subject like methods of creativity. And there were a lot of brainstorming and unusual psychological things. And there was truth that really stood out it was something very unusual and i started looking for books on trees you know found al schuller's books started reading those books and then i found that there would be a workshop a long one two weeks you know of al schuller and when i went there so that was the <laughs> where i started sinking into this well i want to ask what he was like as an instructor but before but wait, i'll just go right well for, first of all i have to cover this point one of the most interesting he, he must have been just incredibly interesting but one of the nuggets that jumps out at me is how he thought you know he didn't really like the way the soviet government was doing things and so he thought it was a good idea to write let uh, start a letter campaign to stalin i wonder if you could tell us about that a little bit right and actually yeah that is that is uh like a buzz uh, story the story was really slightly different uh because um you know um because i attended many uh, trainings uh, of his i kind of followed wherever i heard he was yeah. teaching some. Um, and uh, sometimes there was training where we kind of stayed in the same place, uh, you know, uh, almost isolated. It was like in a, at a resort area that was not a resort. It was in the middle of Russian winter. But uh, basically, <laughs> there was nothing to do, to study trees, to eat and sleep. And uh, that's why, you know, he was together with us. So basically, of course, yes, he wrote a letter to Stalin. It was a, an open letter because he uh, sent it not only to Stalin, but to, um, you know, newspapers and magazines. And it was not just a letter because, you know, what happened, uh, um, uh, it was 1947, I think, uh, that was immediately after World War II and uh, the Soviet Union was in ruins people did not have enough food uh, uh, clothes and so on and the united states offered like an exchange uh, to uh, exchange um, you know um, um, uh, archives of german patent office that the russian army had captured when they entered berlin they captured that you know archives of german patent office with rejected applications all that and the us the us uh, offered to exchange these archives for food and, uh, you know, other goods because the country needed that. And Stalin agreed. And a group of prominent Soviet uh, lawyers, patent lawyers, you know, they basically opposed to that, saying that the, the value of these uh, uh, archives was much higher. Sure. Right. And that basically that letter was like an addition to this kind of movement. 
Um, and Al-Solar, it was not opposing uh, letter. He wrote that he was developed that a very interesting methodology, uh, innovative methodology uh, was being developed in the Soviet Union that would make Soviet inventors the best in the world. Um, it, it was interesting that after he sent this letter, you know, there was a silence for almost a year. There was no response because the newspapers didn't know how the authorities would react because they could encourage saying it's a good initiative or they could punish. That's why they were absolutely silent. And after that, you know, a year after, Al-Shula was arrested. You know, he was uh, um, accused. I mean, that was very ridiculous charge, you know, uh, that... Uh, uh, you see, one of Al Schuller's uh, very early inventions was um, a method to uh, produce um, a substance called ethyl mercaptan. That's a substance that is added to natural gas, you know, very smelly one, because natural gas doesn't have any smell. Right. That's why it's very dangerous, because you cannot detect the leak. So they put, um, they put this smelly substance for detection purposes. Um, but it is very, really, it's like an, a weapon because into the natural gas, they put very, very minute concentration of it. But if it is concentrated, people can just lose, lose conscience. You know, it is too strong. So Al-Shula was uh, accused of uh, intentions of uh, planting a bottle of that substance to the, the Red Square during the celebrations of the world, uh, of the uh, socialist revolution. So just totally ridiculous. Of course, the real cause, it was that letter. Right. Uh, first of all, you know, in this letter, he implied that the Soviet inventors had not been the best in the world. That was a crime, <laughs> you know, in itself. So, um, and uh, just to make a long story short, he was sentenced to death. Uh, at the quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, just close to the date, you know, he the uh, capital punishment was substituted with 25 years of gulag and also went to concentration camps and he stayed there like for three years, uh, three, four years till Stalin died. Hmm. So that's why his life was far from being easy. Right. And that was why, why there was uh, one of the reasons that basically uh, he was a science fiction writer. He really never worked as an employee for any uh, state organization. And again, state, because everything was state in the right. Soviet Union. <laughs> right, right. Did he write uh, while he was in uh, prison? Did that did that contribute to his productivity or not really? Oh, that was uh, that another another five hours. Uh, five hours. <laughs> yeah, because, because, because yeah, when he went to when he was sent to uh, to Siberia, he refused to work. He was very inconvenient, um, inconvenient prisoner. He refused to work uh, and. Uh, um, of course, the uh, management of the concentration camp didn't like it, and they wanted to get rid of it. They could not execute him because uh, the sentence was not that. But they knew a lot of ways how to do it. Uh, they usually put uh, people who, uh, whom they did not want to have into a barrack with uh, uh, real criminals, you know, murderers, you know, thugs that, uh, yeah. Uh, usually normal person, political people uh, that could not survive in that environment. But uh, unexpectedly, the situation, the table turned. You know, Al-Shula had a phenomenal memory. He could basically retell 
thick books, novels, very close to the original text. And uh, those thugs, or those criminals, they did not work. They were in prison. They were sitting in the barrack locked. Just imagine, like a lot of people sitting there all day long locked. So, uh, and here there was someone who could retell all these uh, novels, you know, Three Musketeers, Queen Margot, all that. Wow. You know, pretty close and he was a, a very talented presenter so instead of killing him you know Al-Shuler said that he was like a Shahirizad sitting in the middle of the barrack and telling <laughs> these stories so uh, when the, the um, management understood that they had made a mistake and wanted to uh, extract Al-Shuler from the barrack those thugs didn't want to give him away so they had to design a special operation uh, you know how to extract Al-Shuler from there <laughs> So after that, they put him in another kind of, uh, uh, the idea was, okay, forget about him, just uh, don't pay attention. And they put him into another barrack where old intelligentsia professors from Moscow and St. Petersburg had been living for many years and dying gradually because they were old people. And Al-Shuler, you know, he had like two and a half years of military college. He understood that he needed more education. So he decided to create, according to his words, a university of one student. So he asked those professors to teach him, you know, different subjects that they knew. And they were more than happy because they had been missing it for many years. They even argued uh, among themselves who would be the next to teach. So he created that university of one student, as he called it. And that's where he actually self-educated, not self, but, you know, got uh, quite a lot of knowledge. So in the long run, when he is, you know, by the end of his term, well, he, not the term, but he, he was released when Stalin, Stalin died. But, uh, you know, he was promoted, he started working and he was promoted. He was the chief engineer of the mine because they, you know, worked in the mines and he created several inventions right there. Wow. Was, wasn't there this other anecdote I remember reading somewhere that he made some fake eyes or something like yeah, this? Yeah, right. It, ha it happened when, um, you know, he was sitting because uh, when they arrested him, they needed to basically prove that he was the enemy of the people. And um, um, the, the interrogation um, the, during Stalin's time was pretty brutal. Uh, not that they um, kind of physically hurt. Yes, of course, they did it too. But they had another way of torture. They didn't allow people to sleep. So um, uh, all the interrogations were at nighttime. And at daytime, people are not supposed to sleep. You know, uh, that is why after several year, hours, uh, several days without sleep, uh, people were ready to admit anything, you know. Um, so that's what they applied to Al Schuller. But uh, as Al Schuller said, of course, I don't think that he thought about that that time, at that time. But later, you know, when he was uh, teaching trees, you know, he said, we had a contradiction. You know, I had to sleep and there was no way to sleep. So he used one of the inventive principles. <laughs> you know, out of the margins this of newspaper, he made uh, uh, like uh, pieces uh, of paper and he, uh, you know, drew like circles there, like pupils. And then he just closed his eyes and sitting uh, was sitting and uh, kind of uh, glued, um, you know, those pieces of paper with the imitation of pupils to his uh, lids, eyelids, and that uh, and um, uh, the guy who was 
together with him, you know, in the cell, you know, made uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, pretended that they were discussed talking about something. He was talking maybe, but also was sleeping and it helped him to get two, three hours of sleep. Uh, it was still dangerous because there was a ward, uh, you know, walking along the corridor and looking in the peeping hole, you know, uh, the, and the, if he saw that people were sleeping, he basically walked in and uh, didn't allow that. But on the um, outside, everything looked normal. That is why Al-Shula managed to sleep, you know, several hours. And um, actually, it helped him a lot. Of course, in the long run, they um, kind of uh, broke <laughs> that secret. They changed the the um, the warden, you know, uh, the the guard, and uh, the uh, uh, the previous guard was a guy. You know, he had very heavy boots, and when he was walking along the corridor, you know, uh, it was uh, you know easy to hear that he was approaching the uh, the door of the cell. But the new uh, the new guard, the new warden was um, a lady, a woman, and she had shoes on, uh, kind of uh, very soft, uh, uh, kind of uh, um, um, felt type, you know, soles. Uh, that's why she moved pretty, uh, uh, you know, without making any noise, and she kind of uh, <laughs> uh, she caught him then. Yeah. It's so fascinating. You know, one of the books, and actually you recommended, um, you know, and and suddenly the inventor appeared. Tell okay. us a little bit about that book and some of the stories. <laughs> that's another, that's another five-hour story. Um, uh, <laughs> well, Schuller did. He, um, I mean, he did not have a full-time job for a state uh, organization, but he was a writer. That's why he wrote articles for newspapers, for magazines, uh, about inventions, about innovation, and things like that. And in the Soviet Union, there was uh, a newspaper that everyone subscribed, uh, was a subscriber to. I was, you know, that was a new, uh, new. No, I mean, when I say everyone in you know due time at some age. <laughs> um, so that was a special newspaper for uh uh, well, uh, Boy Scouts, let us put it this way. Yeah. But uh, uh, right, but uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts in the in the Soviet Union, everything was together. <laughs> Not just boys, but uh, for girls, it's like young pioneers. Maybe you have seen those red uh, ties, and uh, you know, sure. be prepared. It is pretty similar. Mm -hmm. So a pretty good newspaper. You know, um, as I said, I was a subscriber. You know, four pages, a smaller format. It was kind of interesting. And Al-Shula wrote articles uh, for that newspaper. And those articles were very interesting. What he did, he took a real patent, adapted it, of course, eliminating terminology, and made a story of it that even kids could understand because the subscribers of uh, that newspapers are like 12, 14-year-old kids, something like that. So, um, so he wrote an article about this uh, um, invention uh, about this problematic situation and then publish it and kids were supposed to generate an idea for example you know there is a big city in the desert you know uh, everything is fine you know at night and then all of a sudden the pipeline that delivers the the water you know to the city breaks and so the water is out, the city is without uh, water, uh, hospitals, kindergartens, you know, tragedy. 
Um, and then every article uh, of that kind ended with words. And suddenly the inventor appeared and, and the kids were supposed to <laughs> invent something, to suggest a solution. Al Schuller said that the answers he got from kids from this newspaper, you know, uh, often they were much, much better and smarter than uh, the, the, the real patent, you know, <laughs> uh, right. which this story had been written. Um, and so one day he took all these kind of stories, added some more stuff, and published it in a as a book. And the book is called Very Strange Name. And suddenly the inventor appeared. And it is one of the greatest books, you know, if you want to learn to kind of familiarize yourself with kids, with trees, because it's a little bit of everything. And it is written in a very simple way. It was written for 12, 14 year old kids. That's why adults read it easily. It's very entertaining. You know, it has exercises. So, yeah, I still think it's 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 a wonderful book. It's very clever. And like you say, it presents a story and then a riddle. And then yeah. suddenly the inventor appeared and it just it really engages uh the curiosity. And they're hard. I mean, just reading, 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 reading through yeah. them. What's but it's your... like a game. That's why kids loved it. They yeah. did not think it as some sophisticated, inventive problem solving. They took it as a game. Yeah. What's your favorite of those? And maybe if you, you can share the resolution if you remember one. Um, uh, I do not remember resolution, but I remember some examples. Uh, also, yeah. the book is full with interesting examples, you know, uh, that uh, in one um, uh, research institute, you know, that worked in agricultural area, you know, they had a, a project, a research project to develop something, some pesticide, whatever, some, um, um, some remedy against uh, some bugs, you know, that uh, used to uh, devour crop of whatever, I don't remember what. And to develop uh, this uh, method, how to fight those bugs, it was necessary to, to know, to measure the temperature of bugs body. The bug is tiny. That is why looks like uh, you cannot put a thermometer you know uh you know under a bugs uh you know <laughs> um pole whatever um so um it was necessary to design a special device and then uh, a technician not not a phd but a technician suggested you know a very simple solution and you know, people were supposed to uh, you know think about it, and of course, kids uh, immediately came up with uh, the uh, the idea, you know, just to put many of these bugs into into a glass, for example, and uh, put the thermometer in, and you get an average temperature. It is uh, it's very it's really really funny. Because once I was talking about this book at one workshop, I mean, a regular regular workshop, like uh, for, for engineers, like we had at uh, Action. Uh, and uh, when I said, uh, when I explained this problem, one guy says, yeah, 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 I know. I know the answer. I know. And okay, I thought, okay, <laughs> uh, good that he's so interested. I say, okay, so what is the answer? And, and he said, you know, I need to take a glass, put like 100 bucks into this glass to measure the temperature 
and divided it by 100. <laughs> I was ready. So that. close, so close. <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to say. You know, I was kind of. Uh, wow, it's really cold in that glass. <laughs> yeah. It's really cold. I wouldn't have thought it would have been that cold. It's colder than. Yeah. They're sucking energy out of the air. <laughs> you know what I love about that approach, though? It's just like, you know, a lot of us, we get in this innovation game and. You know, everything seems so serious at times, and especially you work with high level people. And, you know, a lot of us get into this because it's fun, because we started building things in the backyard and solving problems and making. Oh, yeah, of course. of course. Yes, yes. yes. But, you know, with the brainstorming, it is they can get something uh, really good or they can get stupid. You know, you never right. know. Right. But Tris, you have these tools, you know, of course, the matrix, uh, the inventive principles, that is the oldest one. But what is really the core is that um, Al Schuller, when he was analyzing many patents, as you can understand, he noticed that um, engineering systems of different kinds, they evolved somehow following the same, the same uh, steps, the right. same stepping stones. Right. And it was amazing because the products were very different, right? Mm -hmm. If someone asks you, uh, what is in common where, you know, between the toothbrush and a bed in which you sleep and a car? Nothing. It is, uh, there are so different systems. But no, I'll sure notice these common stepping stones, common steps, you know, that engineering system pass, you know, as they evolve. And he called it trends of engineering system evolution. There are not many trends. Some explain how the systems get more dynamic, acquire more degrees of freedom, you know, how more controllable they become. So different trends focus on different um, aspects of evolution. For example, there is a trend of increasing dynamization. Uh, uh, what I'll surely noticed in many systems. First, we have a system that is a monolith, solid monolith. Then it acquires a hinge, so it becomes more adaptable. Then it has many hinges. Then so many hinges that some parts, some parts become elastic. Then the system acquires liquid parts, gaseous parts, and fields. And these steps, you know, practically every product that technolo and technology passes through it. Look at knife. You can cut with a solid uh, uh, blade. You can cut with the, you know, like with a fishing line, you know, totally elastic. You can cut with water jet. You can cut with air jet. You can cut with a laser. Look at the beds in which we sleep. You know, there is regular bed. You probably have heard about uh, uh, camp bed and the totally elastic hammock and of course water bed and inflatable bed you know with a field that still you know we didn't get it <laughs> but uh, there are experiments that they run on uh, frogs small frogs and bugs uh, that levitate in the field so maybe in the future we will be just levitating in the uh, electromagnetic field when we sleep right um, so and uh, as I said, toothbrushes, of course, you can say you saw a regular one with hinges, folding ones, uh, totally elastic. Again, uh, don't get trapped with the name brush, not necessarily right. the function, right. remove plug, you know, totally elastic thing and chewing gum and this water pick. And now Philips has an air pick and a different electromagnetic thing or electro ultrasonic field. So uh, when you start analyzing e evolution of very uh, cars, 
you know, look, uh, yeah. yeah, car with very few hinges and then more and more hinges, convertibles and BMW, the Gina line, the body is totally, of the car is totally elastic. It can, can different shape. You can change the shape of your car body. What are, could you repeat, yeah. what are those major phases with the monolith? What are the major phases again that these things? Solid, solid, solid with a hinge, mm -hmm. several hinges. Uh-huh. So many hinges that some parts are elastic. Okay. And then liquid, mm -hmm. liquid parts, right? Yeah. And right. then gas parts and field parts. Yeah. This is, I, and waves. And then in the end, wave. I'm, I'm so fast because, I mean, I would, I would, I'm now, okay, this is in my head only, but I'm thinking about like mobile phones at the moment. Mobile phones. I mean, we started out with the very thick one. Yeah. Now they're coming these folding things. So that yeah, I remember Motorola one, there was one hinge or something. Yeah, yeah. Old one. And then more hinges and then totally elastic ones. Yeah. And what about uh, ball bearings, bearings? You know, we have regular bearings and then we had uh, uh, water uh, bearings or whatever. Uh, then we have liquid bearings when we have uh, um, uh, air bearings and we have uh, electrical bearings. And I so guess for, for music uh, music uh, players, it's a, it's also yeah. a similar story, right? Right, oh, right, yeah. right, right. That is what is fascinating. Actually, this is a part of Tris that is very practical and fascinating trend analysis. You take a product or a component and you actually, you know, position it at different trends. And basically, you are prompted what the next steps should be. Not necessarily, mm -hmm. though, sometimes the system jumps over. It really depends on market demand, you know, because uh, I can uh, invent everything inflatable, but who will buy it, right? Uh, but um, uh, that's why it is necessary to project the recommendations from trends on the market demand. You know, if the movement along the trend uh, satisfy one of the customer's needs, right, then it happens. If it doesn't, then the system doesn't go there. And this trend analysis is pretty interesting, maybe even for identifying hidden market needs, you know, because people never express the needs and no one asks them if they need it. But once you see what the next step of the trend suggests, you know, and see what benefits it will give, you can ask uh, the uh, uh, the customer and they say, wow, is it possible? Yes, if, if you can do it, it is possible. Then it's another story. Then it's a task for engineers to do and to kind of uh, embed it, yeah. Does it ever go the other way? Does it ever start going back with less hinges and to something more solid, or does it always progress? Yeah, these trends are really very interesting because it's really uh, the research show that sometimes system goes along trend in that direction, sometimes it goes backwards. You know, it happens in different situations. For example, there is um, a trend uh, that's called trend of increasing coordination, that the tool and product get coordinated. And usually, uh, Alshua himself uh, really um, described um, this trend. It says, usually tool and product interact like that. First in a point, then along a line, more productive, more points. Then on a plane, many lines, and then 3D. Mm -hmm. Look at the washing machine. The first washing machine, what was that? Stone. 
they took uh, you know a piece of uh, fabric whatever <laughs> skin you know went to water and with a stone they hit it you know to remove dirt so the contact of that washing machine was in the point and then in german german tribes uh, thought about something better a stick there are many points you know so they started slashing laundry with a stick and then our grandmothers used the washboard right it was uh, it was uh, along a plane and contemporary washing machine, it's all kind of 3D, right? So, yeah, a tool becomes more productive going from point to line to 2D to 3D. And then, uh, you know, uh, it became, you know, just when we applied it to project, you know, we saw that sometimes, for some reason, the evolution goes backwards, from uh, uh, plane to line, from uh, line to point, what's going on? And then we looked, you know, at that. We noticed, yeah, everything depends on the situation. If this action, you know, is useful, and if there are resources, of course, let us go from point to line to 2D, 3D. You know, you go fishing, you know, just one fishing pole, you can catch one fish. Line fishing, you know, you have a... a right. Yeah, you have many, yeah. many fishing, many hooks. And if you use a net, you can put it across the river and catch everything. And trolling, when you scoop like a, a part of the ocean, it's even more productive. Right? And there's also a way if they use electromagnetic fields, they use it when they're going to take samples of fish. They have yeah. these big electrodes and they shock them and they just float up in the water. That's right. Right. It would right. be illegal to do that and harvest them, but governments do that to... When they want to yeah. measure how many, so there's your there's your fields. They can do it, but but if uh, you don't have resources, it's a useful function. You don't have resources, you know. I go hunting for a bear, you know. If you know, I cannot withstand the bear, right? right. So that is why if I just try to kind of uh, wrestle with the bear or <laughs> hit it uh, on the head with a sheet of uh, metal, it will not work. You know, the only chance I will have if I kind of master all my strength and focus it in one point. Mm -hmm. That is why using a spear would be the most efficient thing. So I go to the very point because I need to concentrate all the um, all the power I have in one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what? What occurs yeah. to me? This is this. I don't think this is any great insight, but I'm just sort of absorbing this as I'm thinking. You know, thinking about trees, it seems it's really about patterns that in, that emerge that just exist, almost like laws of the universe. And if you understand these patterns of innovation, what's common to this and this one, the various different ones, then you can you can use those patterns as as inspiration for how to change something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Is that a way to think of generalized roadmaps? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes when I see some new product, you know, that, that uh, that's another kind of <laughs> not, I would not say bad thing, but that's what Tris uh, gave me. You know, uh, when I go uh, through stores looking at new products, sometimes I see something <gasps> great. How interesting. And then my inner voice tells me, why are you surprised? That's according to this and this trend. Right. <laughs> it right. should have happened. So, so what right. is that excitement about? Yeah. Right. Um, so, and another thing, if the if the action is harmful, uh, but there is a little bit of it. 
Hmm. If it is harmful uh, and a little bit, then um, uh, probably it makes sense to dilute it. In that case, I will go from point to 3D, right? For example, if uh, you know I have to jump, I live on the 10th floor. If I have jumped from the 10th floor, probably my landing on the ground will not be very heavy. Right, because kinetic energy with which I hit, you know, the ground would be pretty high. I will be smashed. So, but if I dilute it, I will jump on a firefighter's net that my kinetic energy, because kinetic energy is limited. We can calculate it. It depends on my weight. It depends on the distance, on the height, right? Uh, MGH, right? Um, so um, uh, if I dilute it even more, 3D, for example, you know, there is like stuntsman um, bag. So it's like semi-inflated bag into which you, uh, be kind of bag into which you jump. Then the kinetic energy is distributed 3D, right? So uh, there are situations where, and it uh, there, so there are situations when the uh, trend goes, uh, the evolution goes that way, mm. and there are situations when the evolution goes this way, and um, that's what Triz has. You know that's why these things are much more kind of uh, uh, much bigger than. Um, uh, contradiction matrix. Well, I was just going to ask you about that because that's one of the when most people that have a, just a little bit of knowledge, maybe they read a Wikipedia article. That's sort of the their short version. Oh, it's the it's the contradictions, which is quite interesting. Could you tell yeah, but it's very small. It's yeah, a little bit of it. I know it's just a little bit of it, but could you tell us what are these? What what is the contradiction matrix, and how is that uh, useful? Well, it's easy because, as I say, uh, uh, it's a matrix, right? You know, a vertical axis, it's a list of parameters that I want to improve. The horizontal, it is a list of parameters that might deteriorate. So you take your situation, right? Uh, like, uh, remember, I uh, uh, told you uh, this engineer has got a problem. I need to make the system uh, strong. Yeah. And for that is uh, designing it thick. Okay, I made it. It's strong. Exactly like my professor had taught me. Right. But it's too heavy. So what, what happened? I improved strength, as my professor taught me, but there is another parameter, weight, that deteriorated. I put strength in the vertical uh, axis, uh, weight in the horizontal axis, and the crossing of this line and the column will give me four or three uh, inventive principles uh, that say, uh, for example, uh, use uh, uh, use uh, uh, another state of aggregate. Mm. Another state of aggregate. So uh, right now I'm doing everything uh, of um, solid. Another state of aggregate, it will be a liquid and it can be air or gas. Oh, interesting. What if it is, uh, for example, a flexible beam with very, very high pressure inside? It will be strong like hell, but it will not be heavy. Right? Or, you know, so uh, they, these inventive principles around which I brainstorm, they are like pointers, you know, directions yeah. into which we need to think. Can I just, so to, to that I understand this correctly, I find this very I mean, extremely interesting. So kind of you put these two variables, you kind of you cross them and then you see where, where I mean, you see the contradiction. And then what trees does, if I understand this correctly, is give you like 
four or five almost like clues try this try that try the other thing in order right. to resolve or to, to get rid of the contradiction uh, that's right you know but it gives does not give you ready solutions <laughs> right because yeah. as you uh, someone else might interpret it differently you know uh, not uh, like inflatable beam but something uh, you know some 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 other solutions right yeah but it's exactly you know? so, so try to change the aggregates that's right so that's right. Some, right, so right. more a general for example uh, if i make uh, the table uh, very thick it will be strong i can dance on it but it will be too uh, too heavy yeah 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 i can make it elastic in the inflated uh, inflated with compressed air so it will be strong enough but use uh, air can lead to some other solution what if i take balloons with light gas in my hands when I want to dance on the table, and these balloons would compensate for my weight, and I can dance on the table without changing its weight. Okay. You see, that's a totally different solution. But so that's why, you know, for example, use gaseous substance instead of solid can lead to very different solutions. Hmm. That is why uh, some people say, no, 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 that's not a theory. Because theory is when several engineers have the same problem and they get to the same solution. Here, we don't have that. You know, all these engineers can come with different solutions, but three, uh, the, all the engineers will get with the same solution model. They just interpret it, uh, this model of the solution mm -hmm. differently. Right, because it's it's mm. pretty broad. So actually, Let's... trees sorry, the, the last thing trees works with models, because trees has ways how to take a problem and model it in a specific way, and then trees tools like the matrix it converts model of the problem into model of the solution. That's it. Trees does not give you a ready solution. So it works only with model, models of problems, model of solutions. That's why when people learn it, they need to learn how to model problems correctly yeah. and how to, you know, interpret models of solution correctly. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, probably each, I mean, the problem that an engineer faces is in a certain sense, concrete and unique. It probably never is the same, That, but, but there is, so what then is how do I abstract how do I know what problem I'm facing? I think that that's that, or oh that's that's a ten five hour, hour. <laughs> yeah. because it's be a long it, call today. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a problem because uh, um, um, Einstein, yes, you probably heard that uh, that uh, phrase. He used to say that if he had one hour to solve a yeah, problem yeah. on which his life depended, one hour sixty minutes. He would spend 45 minutes analyzing the problem, 10 minutes reviewing the problem, and five minutes solving it. So uh, it is much more important to select the right problem. Because once you selected it, you know, solving is easy. Why? Because engineers, uh, I will tell you a big secret. Engineers are not married to problems. Engineers don't have to solve problems. They need to achieve the project goal. That's it. Mm. And the project goal can be achieved by solving very different problems. Some of them are difficult. Some of them are easy. That's why what we need to do, we need to find the easiest problem through which we can achieve the project goal. That's why some companies fail. Some companies are very productive. 
you know, they so they have the same goal, but they try to achieve it through solving different problems. One company takes very difficult way, another company very simple way. That is why modern trees has a big analytical part and spends more time on kind of selecting that easy problem through which the goal can be achieved than really solving. So, so is a problem one of these trade-offs in, in trees? Is it one of these? No, uh... no, trees, trees is not doing trade-offs. You know, it's not like Six Sigma. Trees resolves contradictions. But yeah, so is it is is a problem a, a contradiction or, or are there many kinds of different there problems? are there, there are several. There are four ways how we can model these problems, but before that, we need to find it. There are very powerful analytical tools how to find the right problem to solve. The easiest one. You know, and also there are tools to substitute. Uh, basically, it's the same thing, to substitute the difficult problem with a totally new one. No one has ever stated it. That's why, you know, we have a white uh, uh, field in front of us. But if we solve it, we will achieve the project goal. Um, uh, one of the tools from that problem identification toolkit, it is called trimming. Maybe you do it subconsciously, maybe not. But basically... You know, uh, if there is a component in your system that is not good and you want to improve it and you try different ways how to improve it, trimming says, no, if this component is so uh, nasty, don't bother, throw it away. <clears throat> how can I throw it away? It is designed for a reason. It performs uh, these useful functions. Trimming says, fine, identify the useful function this component should to perform throw it out, should perform, throw it out, and teach the remaining parts to perform these functions. I remember this concept of trimming. Yeah. I really love it. But, but... And no one ever thinks about it. Yeah. You know you know what happens, uh, uh, General Electric, you know, they deploy trees. Out of 5,000 R&D people worldwide, they trained 3,000 3, people. That was like five years of my life. 5,000 people. R&D, uh, scientists and engineers. Um, uh, but when uh, first they they had found trees long ago and they found it with the contradiction matrix. Mm. They, but when they tried contradiction matrix, you know, um, any kind of uh, inventive principles that, uh, you know, they got, they said, we had tried it already. We have been in this area for centuries. We tried everything that inventive principle suggested. Uh, that is why they said, well, we have trees. maybe it's just for beginners, for young engineers, but it is not for savvy professionals in our R&D. But uh, these analytical part, and for example, trimming, suggests totally different. They were struggling with their like combustion chamber and their aircraft engine. There were some parts and they tried to improve them doing this and this and this. And we say, what? This part, it uh, breaks. You know, it is doing, it was not working well. Throw it out. But prior to that, you know, we need to do a very detailed so-called function analysis to, to know exactly what useful functions every component performs. And then I take this bad part throw it out and now i have totally new problems that uh, uh talented g engineers never really addressed 
how to enable some other components to perform functions for which they had not been designed. You see, totally different problem. They had to modify other components, you know, to enable them to perform the functions of the component that had been trimmed. So yeah, they is- never they never had addressed this problem before. That's why they were fascinated. Yeah. And when they applied contradiction matrix to these problems, yeah, they got some ideas they had never been uh, having had having before because they had never addressed that problem before. This idea of functional analysis to me is one of the most interesting parts of TRIZ for several reasons. But for folks who may not have heard of it, how would you, what is functional analysis? How would you, what is it? Can you hear me? Probably can, yes. Because, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, because I said that we need to um, analyze every component to determine functions of every component of your system. Right. Right. If, in case you want to trim a component. That's why, you know, the analytical part includes basically you take the system you want to improve, you split it into mm-hmm. components and going through a special procedure, you determine you know, functions, every component performs, how well, useful functions, harmful functions. It doesn't create anything new. You just uh, arrange the knowledge of your system in a specific way. And then if you decide to trim a component, you know exactly, because it performs some harmful functions, it does not do the functions well. You You trim it and you delegate, you know, what functions you need to preserve and delegate to other components. So, uh, so I've, some, if, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm holding my coffee cup. We were, and so if I said, well, then my cup's too expensive. And so maybe I'm going to remove this handle, uh-huh. just cut it off. So but then what's the function of the handle? Well, it was to support the cup. Well, I can still. So then some other aspect or, or feature yeah, attribute yeah, of the cup right. must serve to, to hold it. Yeah, yeah, the cup, the cup can have this shape, you know, with the with the with the waist in the middle, right? <laughs> right? So it will be easier to hold it there because up and down it is uh, bigger in diameter than uh, the center. Yeah. One reason I think this is a super powerful concept is over time products. If you're an engineer and you're told, "Hey, don't make this thing where it doesn't break." You know, the the easiest way to do that is just add more metal to it, make it bigger, stronger. We'll do that for a few generations of products. And now the product you're working on, somebody else, they added that steel to it, you know, 10 years ago. And you've got this product and you don't know. There's all this, there's this waste that has been built into it. And, and you're sort of, you don't know what, you don't know what you can take out. And so this idea of trimming uh, you know, I absolutely love where you say, well, what's the function of this? What if we just trim? What if we just, just cut it out? Let's just cut it out and see what happens. In, right, in, right. Yeah. You know, I just, uh, just, but just, uh, I think maybe I have it or maybe not. I don't know. Remember. Um, no, I don't have it. Well, but I have different thing. I have different thing. Uh, for example, um, uh, refrigerator yeah. or whatever, a car. Yeah. Can you tell me what component of your car is the best and what component of your car is the worst? I think the steering wheel is pretty important. <laughs> so, but what is that? Okay, steering wheels. Uh, are they more important than the engine? 
Yeah, I would say the engine. I would have said the engine. Yeah, good one. <laughs> what is better? So what is better? What is the best component? And people say, this is a stupid question. <laughs> you know, I can compare two engines. I can compare two wheels, but I cannot compare engine and the wheel. It's com comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Function analysis allow us to do that because function analysis has a criterion, you know, called value. That is a, a ratio of functionality important, how important the component is divided yeah. by cost. Yes. And there is a way how to basically calculate the functionality important. So basically, I split my system into components. I calculate functionality importance of every component. I get information from the accounting about cost. And I put all these uh, components on this uh, on this chart, functionality importance and horizontal is cost. And then, um, look, uh, um, of course, you know, um, uh, actually, we can judge. If uh, there are many uh, uh, points around this line, it means the system is designed well because the more important the component is, the more expensive it is. It's fair. But if the points are all over the place, that's a bad design. But what I can do more, I can split these things into four quadrants. And I have different improvement strategies for different components of my system. This is my target domain. Cheap components and very important. I love them. <laughs> These components, they are not expensive, but... Uh, they are kind of underloaded, you know, uh, their function, they're not important. So we need to improve this functionality there. These components, they do a good job, important functions, but they are expensive like hell. For that, I need to do cost reduction. And these components here, uh, lower right-hand corner, they're expensive and they are not important. What do we do? With them, what do we do with people who um, have a lot of salaries, uh, sal high salary, and do not work well? Trimming. Trimming. So you see, I did function analysis of my product, and I know innovation strategies for different parts. Not one strategy, one size fits all, but I have different innovation approaches for different parts, and each of these is supported with uh, by trees with tools. For each strategy, for each group of components, Trees offers tools. So how so then so this so this that I understand this correctly? Could we say, for example, you take the car and then the function of the engine is, I don't know, kind of to, to make it to make it move forward right. or to, to, it to, might to be, enable it to it move? Might, yeah, yeah. It might be that engine actually has lower value. Uh, than uh, some other component <laughs> because it is important, but it is very expensive. Yeah. Okay. And, and I have another comment on the this formula. I, I think people in value engineering also use this relationship of value is uh, the ratio of function over cost. But I have uh, I always wondered. But then, um, okay, so I could just if I add um, like uh, tons and tons of functions that are infinitely expensive then it would not change the value of my of my product it's maybe a bit too too detailed but i always kind of wondered i mean i uh, i mean the functions uh, uh, again we can add a lot of functions but usually you know uh, functions uh, should be uh, the customer should need that right i can design a copying machine that also polishes shoes and makes coffee 
but uh, the customers uh, that do not need it. They, they are not going to pay for these functions, right? So the functions, again, that is another thing, you know, how we improve. It needs, uh, you know, the uh, one of the uh, important inputs, it is the, the market voice uh, of the customer, right? Uh, because... Uh, uh, Function analysis just gives uh, me re, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, and trends, for example. They give me the one-sided view of, from the perspective of system evolution. Mm. But I need to have another perspective, what the market wants. Because I can tell you everything should be inflatable. There will be inflatable table. There will be inflatable chair. Everything will be inflatable. Will you start uh, uh, start up with me that makes inflatable tables? <laughs> Probably not, because because we will go bankrupt, right? Because no no one will do it. But you see, uh, this function analysis it's only one part, uh, the first analytical part. After that, you know, for, 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 uh, to make a decision what component to trim, you know, um, it is not only function analysis contributes, but there is a tool that you know pretty well five whys right or you know rc uh, root cause analysis or cause effect chain analysis because it might be that really the problem starts with something that has very low value for example i build houses and they collapse you know one second third they collapse so i start doing uh cause effect chain analysis root cause analysis the house collapses why the walls collapsed inside. Why? Because the beam between the walls broke. Why? Because there was a joint in the middle of that beam that broke. Why? Uh, because the bolts, you know, in that joint broke. Why? Uh, they got rusty. You see, function analysis will never recommend that bolts be trimmed. Bolts, bolts have very high value. Their cost is next to zero. That is why the bolts will never be suggested for trimming, but from cause analysis, cause effect analysis perspective, we will get to them. But I do feel there's a, so you're saying this dimension of the 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 market it also goes into this this value consideration because not here, not here. I, I, yeah, yeah, I still don't see how if you uh, I mean you could add a, a an infinite number of infinitely costly features and the value is never negative it's just zero it doesn't change anything so no i mean value it is just for comparison you know it is not absolutely it for comparison different parts uh, different uh, components of the system and again uh, when we improve the system we do not uh, just arbitrarily add a bunch of uh, expensive functions uh, taking them out of the blue right so that is why, you know, uh, uh, voice of the customer and another thing, you know, that is related to Tris, uh, uh, Scott knows that, it is um, uh, not only what the customer asks for, but it is also what the customer is ready to pay because the customer will ask 1,000 things, but when it comes to paying, they will not pay. That is why we need to add functions. You know, we need to add the features only if we're sure that the customer will pay for that. You know, if they pay for that, okay, let it be expensive. You know, they are ready to pay for that. Or we will work on reducing cost. You know, it will come to that. But basically, uh, this, uh, uh, this thing with the voice of the customer or identifying 
part of the voice of the customer for which the customer is ready to pay, it goes before trees. You know, it goes uh, uh, just to understand what projects we need to start. You know, if we identify that there is the need that the customer is ready to, to pay, uh, there is uh, there are no needs and there are hidden needs, right? The customer never requested. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, uh, that that thing, it goes before trees. You know, once we de decided what projects to have, what needs, what features, we are ready to add to the product because we know exactly that the customer is ready to pay. And then we start improving uh, with this function analysis and all that thing. And, and I also had another another question. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, another question relating to in your experience, uh, is it always possible to to relate a function to a single component? Because when I've done similar kinds of exercises, I've often found that you could say that you know this famous phrase that the the, the total is more than the sum of the parts this this mm -hmm. uh, famous sentence so it's often difficult to relate a function to a specific component i found i wondered what your experience yeah. was with that well it really depends what you call functions you know in uh, function analysis uh, that is working with trees you know part of trees methodology function is very very specific thing by function we mean an action that one component performs on another that changes parameter of that second component because if I want to improve the function, I need to know what parameter I need to improve. Because depending on that, I will be looking for a technology that is designed to change that parameter. You see? So, and in this case, the formulation of function is, is very clear. There is the carrier, there is object of the function, and I need to understand what parameter of the object of the function the carrier changes or maintains. Right. Uh, for example, the cup holds a coffee. Right. Okay. You want to improve it because it's leaking or something. Okay. I will find different technologies that allow to hold better. Because in trees, uh, there are several, uh, as I mentioned, uh, several problem solving tools. Cultural addiction matrix is one, but there is also a tool called function oriented search. You know, when we formulate uh, the, the problem as a function, and there is a way how to look for technologies that perform this function in different fields of uh, engineering. Yeah? For example, and that is why in function analysis, some function formulations are wrong. We use them in our everyday life, but they are wrong. For example, dryer. Dryer dries shirts, wrong. What parameter of the shirt does the dryer change? <laughs> None. So the dryer removes liquid. Oh, you see, it removes liquid from here away. It changes coordinates of liquid. So, or evaporates liquid. Because if I want to improve that, I will be looking for technologies how to move liquid. And there are technologies, for example, in, in medicine when they move blood, but no one calls it drying. In the oil industry, where they move oil, no one call it drying. But if we say, I need to improve drying and put it into Google, 
we limit ourselves only to drying. But technologies that can solve our problems can come from many more areas. Does make sense? Yeah. You mean you mean reframing yeah. it into removing yeah. liquid instead of drying? Is that the is that the... It, it opens totally new horizons? Okay. Yeah, I feel like because a lot of these moving moving blood, you know, has a yeah. technology about moving liquid, but not right. no person in the world calls it drying. Right. I feel like a lot of these different different kind of techniques 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 and tools that you're explaining have. There are these reframing or methods to reframe the problem, to think in a different way, exactly. about, to think about a different problem exactly. than in the end. Exactly. I, in totally, totally correct, Jan, because in, in uh, uh, Triz, the idea is to take another problem to solving. If there's yeah. a problem that people already tried to solve, it's hard, it's difficult, and we should it's not the wrong problem. presumptuous. Uh, they are, we are much cleverer. That's why our goal is to find another problem that is easier to solve. But through that, uh, the problem, you can achieve the project goal. Mm. That is okay. exactly you. You just put okay. the, the nail on the head. You get an A, Jan. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> I don't have an engineering background, so this makes me especially proud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is why you see Triz is really much, much bigger because what it yeah. did, like Six Sigma, it started sucking in function analysis and cause effect chain and more and more and more. And uh, in the beginning, it was just different names, you know, that uh, that it had, you know, so that was Triz and uh, that one, I don't know how to do that, how to... Um, move. Uh, okay, I don't know. If you... This is, by the way, a good moment to say you should check out our YouTube channel because Sergey is showing us slides. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It is not good. That's okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, there's different, uh, different, uh, different stages. Trees mm -hmm. were called differently, like innovative technology of design, the uh, trees plus, and so on. But um, um, uh, in the long run, everything boiled down to trees. Mm -hmm. yeah but can we i mean so there's this all of these different trends and techniques and and, and and methods and tools and so on but is there like a like a like a sequential kind of steps that you need to follow in order exactly. to do this or is exactly. it there is roadmap and that's yeah exactly and that's what because right now there are a lot of consultants uh companies individual consultants that just do consulting you know, they do not call it trees consulting because uh, to tell the truth, the name of trees, it scares people away. You know, theory, the first scare hmm. of inventive problem solving, the second scare. You know, <laughs> companies are afraid of it. They say, we don't need inventions. We just need to solve engineering problems. You know, hmm. we do not, uh, you know, aspire to these heights. You know, maybe you should go talk to MIT professors about that, right? That is why it is much, there are much uh, kind of quieter names, systematic innovation, no pragmatic, you know, I mean, there are hundreds of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is definitely something to that, to communicating an idea uh, to make it, uh, you know, for somebody who's not intimidated by it and is even interested. I have to ask this because I may never get another chance to learn it again. I know it's an acronym from, it's actually from a Russian phrase. I'm probably never remember, but what is the Russian name for it? That from which the acronyms sort of cobbled together. 
in the beginning it was an attraction exotic or something like that yeah. but um, um after that the name of trees starting you know we we have grown up of those uh you know, short uh, pants. <laughs> so what what is it in Russian? What's the name Russian Russian name for it? Теория решения изобретательских задач. Trees. Теория it's theory. Now you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but there are a lot of different applications also. Hmm. You know, you see this logo designed for patentability because it turned out that a number of trees tools are very good for, for example, um, you know, if you use uh, some tools in a certain sequence and with certain twist, you know, solutions that you will get in the end are automatically satisfying criteria of patentability. So, so it is not that you develop something and then you check, maybe I was lucky and it can be patented. No, here, you know, you get a novel solution that satisfies your specs. And if you want it, you can patent it. You know, there are ways how to walk around competitive patent. You know, I take a patent. You see, the claim tells me what components there are and what they do, the description of the patent. I can build function model of the patent. I can trim some components and find trimming solutions. And those solutions will not have some components that the patent had. That's why I have freedom to operate. And I change some remaining components, enabling them to perform the functions that you know I delegated to them from the trim component. And those can be patented. And it's basically doing it step-by-step yeah. procedure. Very, if I could just repeat that. Just, so you find a very novel solution, perhaps something patented. Look, at, Do a functional analysis. What's the function of each component? And then if you can trim some, in other words, remove yeah. some, delegate those functions to other, perhaps yeah. substitute uh, attributes that perform the same function, you could essentially accomplish the same goal with a, with a, with a product that's somewhat different, at least, at least from an IP perspective. Right, different right. Enough. And developing like dependent claims, kind of expanding more and more. Think about trends. Using trends, you can develop hundreds of dependent claims, you know, mm -hmm. how the system will improve step mm -hmm. by step. Who would you say that tr that trends is best suited for? Who are the folks that get the most value out of it? It could be a broad group, but just what are the top groups that come to you mind? See, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you, sometimes people say, oh, it's applicable for everything. And it's uh, this answer is a kiss of death. Mm. So if you are yeah. selling a medicine and they ask you, for what is it? And you say, everything, everything you know. So, <laughs> um, um, so um, first of all, we are talking about engineering systems. There are attempts to use it for trees in business, but it's still kind of still starting. Um, but um, of course, uh, you know, automotive industry, aircraft, uh, machine building, you know, all these kind of hardcore engineering areas, they are absolutely for trees. Where trees does not work, I would say, but again, for some projects, um, it is a pharma. Because, um, uh, of course, pharma, uh, uh, there is also machinery and there are processes and trees can be used there. But big part of pharma is based on experimentation. And many patents, uh, many, many developments, they are based on just research, just statistically. Yeah. They did a lot of uh, tests and they figured out the most optimal concentrations and so on. They cannot really explain it. 
It's like a black a box. A lot of trial and error. Let's yeah. see what this that, that, product yeah. does. Let's see and what that this is why you does. cannot do that. Another area, according to my experience, where it did not work well, does not work well, it is, um, mm, how to say that? It's not system. You know, it is uh, when uh, it, a company just, uh, just uh, an integrator. They buy all the ingredients and just assemble these things. Um, we still can improve technological process of assembly because that's what the company owns. But the company cannot interfere with those components. They just buy them. That is why Tris has a quite a limitation here, right? It, it really cannot uh, cannot use the the the, the real power of Tris. They might improve the machine that mixes the things together, but not the... That's right. But even now, those companies that do integration, they also do not make the machines. Usually not, they yeah. Just do, <laughs> they just buy everything and just use the manpower. That's it. Okay. I'll tell you a real example that they didn't use trees per se, but essentially used a lot of these, a lot of this functional analysis pr principle. It was a tractor industry uh, project. And in this case, they wanted to get, they needed to get to a lower price point. There was this huge market, this lower price point, but there were all these rules engineers had. It is, it has to be this strong. It has to be made of this. It has to have this feature. It has to have that. And so they just, but they essentially just started trimming. It's like this thing, it has to have, let's go, you know, you know, we just start getting rid of things and then see, essentially go back to customers and see, it's really seeing, did the customers value the function of it, of it, right? And all these rules that were built up over years and years and years, you know, the customers had changed since these, since these, uh, since the, you know, decades before, but a lot of the features were still there yeah. and they were able to get rid of lots of cost and uh, come in and with a, it was, it's one of the most interesting innovations I've ever seen because it did not go up market. It didn't, didn't do anything better. It just got rid of a lot of functionality and it did the base, some basic things uh, much more uh, cheaply, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, once uh, long ago, but still I will not make this. It's one of the largest companies, consumer rock companies, you know, in the United States. We did analysis of um, tooth cream making process, a toothpaste, but for some reason they call it tooth cream. I do not know why. And um, uh, there is a way how to do function analysis uh, of technological processes. So we did that. And uh, there were 170 something functions because there are a number of operations, a lot of different machinery. And uh, actually these functions can be ranked. You know, there are functions uh, for processes like productive. It means results of this function can be seen in the final product. You know they are make they making irreversible changes, so they are really important, and they are providing functions that just help to perform other and corrective. Yeah, so out of those one hundred seventy something functions, there were only six productive functions. Mm -hmm. Why it happened? Because this process, it was 50 years old. There right. were different customers. They were adding different things to satisfy right. this customer, this, this. And in the long run, it was a monster. Mm -hmm. And why they decided to do that? They were building a new factory. And someone at that company had an idea, maybe we should not repeat, <laughs> you know, everything, uh, you know, what we had. And when we, they saw like six productive function out of 170 something, definitely it was necessary to redesign the process completely, not improve, not. Yeah. That's, you know, because engineers, a lot of times, whatever's been built into it, 
it's like if I'm an engineer working on this project, there's a lot of risk to me to say we should move this and that. It's just it's why take that career risk? Uh, we just keep building. We just keep adding on. Well, they, uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to learn trees, where, where would you recommend them starting? Books to read or what? Or what where, yeah, where books to read. Uh, as as it, uh, you already know, suddenly the inventor appeared. But also there are already books. Okay, I, I did not plan it. You know, it is just when I do training online, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're here. Well, you know, us, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is a book. For example, this one, it is... Yeah, I don't know if you can see it, probably not. Yeah, it is called uh, State of the Art Trees, Theory of Inventive uh -huh. Problem Solving. Um, maybe, you know, there is International Trees Association, maybe Scott knows. Uh, Al Shula was its president till he passed away, and uh, he chartered this organization to continue trees deployment. So um, this book is uh, basically officially approved, you know, yeah. by this. Yeah. So this one, if you are interested in a specific application, you know, this is already kind of, you know, this is uh, designed for patentability. I don't know do, if you can see it. I cannot. Don't. Uh, so we can't. Uh, so it's designed so for patentability. For, for patentability. One. Right. So this is focusing on specific. There are some books. There are some other books. Uh, that are not necessarily approved by uh, this trees association, but are pretty good, right? Um, which one? There is one book uh, um, like Innovation on Demand, I think, uh, uh, by Victor Fay. There is a uh, author, Victor Fay. I would That's say. good title. It is. It really. Is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the first one you showed? The first it, one you said it is, it is called uh, "State of the Art Trees." Theory state of the for, art. Yeah, state of the art trees theory for inventive problem solving. Excellent. Right? You know that. So we uh, we approved it. Uh, you know we use it at, at different universities. You see, at universities there are there are courses. You know, um, um, I was teaching it at Tufts, but they do not call it trees. It is too exotic. You know, that's why in university, it is systematic innovation or at Tufts, it was Trees Bay systematic innovation. So, you know, something right. like that. Because <laughs> that's when the name of Trees basically put such a frame around it that it doesn't allow to expand. When people mm -hmm. hear Trees, they think this is too too narrow. The funny thing about that is it has such an amazing history with, with the Altschuler and just his adventures to me, that would make it all the more reason to tell that story. I mean, it's it's uh, it's sort of it's all it's almost um, I'm I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine the hardships involved with it, but it's just an it's an amazing story. That's um, right. But to tell the truth, it seemed much more exotic like 30 years ago sure, <laughs> when sure. I came to the United States. At that yeah. time, that was really. Mm -hmm. But again, like uh, when I came to the United States, I came to Tennessee, Oak Ridge, you know, yeah. just an exchange. Yeah, there probably people did not see many people from Russia. You know, right. they, they were asking, they were very friendly, very interested, but they were asking questions. Is it true that there are polar bears roaming around the city? <laughs> and, yeah. So for them, like everything, uh, everything about uh, about the Soviet Union was uh, fascinating, was, sure. you know, yeah. 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 now now to... this thing kind of went down. I used yeah. to live in Knoxville, so I was right there near you. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I lived, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I also lived in Knoxville because I was uh, uh, working at UT. Oh wow, excellent! Yeah, 
It's a, it is a beautiful area. That was my first American experience. That is, <laughs> that yeah. is very nice. I really liked it. The only regret I have, I have not had, uh, kind of uh, sucked in the southern troll. I really liked <laughs> it, you know, but I, you know, just was there for a couple of years, so I didn't have enough time <laughs> well i can help you out with the southern draw that's my specialty <laughs> really it's yeah, one of my ta that's one of my three talents working <laughs> right. figuring out what the other two are yeah i love it I love i'm it. not accused of being from new york city it's funny so jonathan and jan are you're from europe you're you're from soviet union most folks in europe they think i'm from texas that's where i don't know but i guess from television imagine, or yeah. something no no no. in texas some people they uh, they chew on words they mumble it is right. difficult to understand i would <laughs> you, have never thought that you were from texas you, no, you've but, been here a long time now though you, you've been here a long time now well yeah. just before we wrap up there's just one thing I, i'm just really dying to know and this will sort of bring it full circle back to our talking about altschuler earlier one of the most fascinating things is that you were a student of of this fascinating person what was he like as a teacher and then we'll sort of wrap oh, it up well not only I me mean, there are some people uh that studied uh, from altschuler that i know who live in the United States, not right. very many, but uh, you know there are people uh, who kind of lived in the same city with him, like Victor Fay, and uh, a little bit my, uh, older people because they spent, you know, at that time uh, I was, uh, you know, I was just a boy. <laughs> I was one yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah. very very young. Yeah. Um, um, he was first of all, he was fascinating person. You know, he was fascinating presenter. You know, you could listen to him just with your mouth open and just like mesmerized. Mm -hmm. His uh, his uh, classes were absolutely fantastic. He was he was running around. He was jumping. He was very emotional. He was teaching. Wow. You know, I I tried to imitate it uh, later, but uh, I mean, he was unsurpassable. Also, I mean, probably because he was a science fiction writer, the way he expressed himself, you know, it also you could you could tell that he can write, mm -hmm. that he can speak, you know. Um, he was. Um, it's interesting. He was, uh, if he did not know person at all, he was extremely kind of polite. You know, um, um, when he uh, uh, got to know you, well, he was not kind of rude, but he could be basically kind of more, I would say, direct. Let yeah. us put it this way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but at the same time, you know, if he kind of uh, can be more abrupt with you, you would look at it as an indicator that he thinks that you are closer to him so he can allow right. himself, you know, answer this way. It's a sign of respect. He respected your yeah, intellect yeah. enough and he cared enough about your, if I can uh, sort of visualize a little bit, he cared enough about your uh, understanding that he was, he, he wouldn't just let it go. He'd correct you to make sure you got it right. Is that right, correct? right, right. But for me, he was still kind of uh, like a God, you know, there were people older, you know, who spent more time with him, but still they were very, very, um, uh, I would say uh, lo they looked at him also as someone, yeah. uh, you know, uh, not equal to them. He was really like uh, like a guru, you know. That's what uh, like uh, they, mm -hmm. when they call it uh, in India, you know. I understand it. Yeah, he was a teacher. Yeah, and, I, and again, that's what his that's what his name literally means. Is it? I don't speak German. Is it not sure? Does that mean old, teacher? All student. 
old student. Old student. Oh, okay. Old student. Okay. Yeah. That was off. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I get for trying that. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, we'll pull this turn list to a close. Sergey, fascinating conversation. Anything else about trees that you'd sort of like to let everybody know that we haven't covered? We pretty much got it all, all nailed down. All right. Good. Yeah. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Ah, oh, wonderful! It, it was uh, it was absolutely fantastic. One of the so one of the things I learned is it's not a good idea to send open letters to communist dictators. In case any <laughs> doubt about that, if anybody was thinking of doing that, just don't don't do it. Don't do it. That didn't work out. Okay, and that friends concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. easy to teach trees. You know why? But every single time, you know, I do it, I get a